ora and welcome to Family, Whānau and Disability, a podcast brought to you by Parent to Parent New Zealand. We are here for the many Kiwi families out there caring for a disabled child or family member. We know the journey caring for a disabled or a neurodiverse child is not an easy or a straightforward one. So this podcast is a place to explore the issues that affect us, to share stories, swap tips and even have a laugh or two. We would love for you to join us each month, so make sure you subscribe. Please also be aware that the views shared are those of the individual and may not represent the views of parent to parent. Welcome to Connect, Inform, Support on Free FM 89.0. Brought to you by Parent to Parent, the not for profit organisation supporting families and whanau of babies, children, teens, and adults with any type of disability or health impairment. Autism and education, the barriers that autistic children face. Well, we're talking today to Kat Noakes Duncan, who has two children on the autism spectrum, and Joanne Dacom, who is autistic and works at the Reserve Bank in monetary policy. What is it like to have a child diagnosed with autism? Well, Kat Noakes Duncan has three children, and two of those children are on the autism spectrum. Welcome, Kat, to the program today. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. What made you seek a diagnosis for the first child? Um, So the process with Sammy was pretty interesting. So he had speech and language delay that I'd picked up from around about 18 months old. Because he was a boy, I'd known that, you know, sometimes boys come into their language a bit later. I guess I was just taking a back seat and observing and watching. Once Sammy started kindergarten, I said to the teachers that I had some concerns around his speech and language development, and they were fairly relaxed about it, and they thought that currently he was probably doing okay. And then about six months into him being at kindy, the teachers came and had a chat with me and said, yep, we have some concerns too about his speech and language, and so we'd like to do a referral to group special education, as it was called back then. So... That referral took, you know, a good nine months to come to fruition and we had a speech and language therapist come to our house to spend some time with Sammy. It was actually very clear to her early on that Sam was on the autism spectrum and she didn't mention that to us at first. She just gave us some tools and strategies to be using with him and at the Early Childhood Centre as well. But then about... Six months later, she took me into her office and said, look, I'm not supposed to do this, but actually I'm, I'm really certain that Sammy's on the autism spectrum. And for me, even though I was an, a trained early childhood teacher and even though I knew Sammy had a speech and language delay, to be honest, I hadn't really considered autism as um, a possibility. So it really hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I felt really taken aback by that and really shocked however she was a wonderful speech therapist who'd been doing it a really long time and she encouraged me at that point not to seek a diagnosis she said that her feeling was that you know Sammy had quite a mild autism spectrum disorder and that we should really just be using the strategies and and goals that she'd given us and just I guess just wait and see what would happen We then moved cities, actually. We moved to Lower Hutch, and at that point, Sammy was, you know, probably about a year off starting school, and at that point, we felt it was time to um, get on a waiting list 
through the child development service to see if Sammy would would get diagnosed with autism at that point. That was an awful long time. It must have been very stressful for you, waiting all that time to find out. Yeah, I think we were really lucky with that speech therapist. Mm. She actually said to us at the time, look, it's I'm not really supposed to say this because, you know, it is a multidisciplinary assessment they go through for autism. But what she said was so strength-based, encouraging. She just loved Sam and she, yeah, she was just really um, positive about him and who he was and, you know, what he was good at. And she really just encouraged us to keep doing what we were doing and that when the time was right, which would be before school, that that would be the time to seek a diagnosis. It was really different, though, with our second son, Micah. So with Micah, we were just absolutely convinced he wasn't on the autism spectrum. We had this little baby who was really socially wired, really interested in people, and also he, you know, he probably even from a young age had a language delay, but he had more language than what Sam had at the same age. And with Micah, it was a really you know, really interesting experience because he did that classic uh, autism bomb thing where actually he he had a regression at about two years old and up until then he'd been able to say his name and he knew he'd point to himself in a photograph and be like, Micah, Micah. And then one day we were hanging out with him and we had a photograph and we were like, who's this, who's this? And he wasn't able to say. He wasn't able to... um, to say his own name or identify that that child in the photo was actually him. And at that point, me and my husband looked at each other and we were like, oh my gosh, like, he's on the autism spectrum. And with Micah, it was a much quicker process. I got on the phone straight away. I rang Heather Drysdale, who um, is the developmental services coordinator for the child development service. I got on the phone and I you know, I left a message and I sent her email saying, you know, I'm now, we think Micah's on the spectrum too. She actually came to my house within two weeks and spent some time with him and said, yep, there's enough here for us to be, you know, thinking that there's a query of autism. And so she um, got him on the waiting list and he got diagnosed very quickly from that point. Kat, you're an early childhood teacher and I know you're training to to be a specialist teacher with children on the spectrum. Mm. How is that going? It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really love the course that I'm doing. Yeah, I'm just learning so much about autism and I guess also about, you know, the, the interventions and strategies that are really effective. But also what I love about the course is there's a real focus on evidence-based practice, which means not just drawing on, you know, clinical research or you know, academic research, but actually drawing on the expertise of teachers and people in the field and then also drawing on the expertise of parents and of individuals with autism themselves and children themselves too. And, yeah, I just, I find that approach really holistic and it resonates for me as a mother. And, yeah, it's been a really fabulous course. Yeah, I've loved it. But you've also found the time to start a playgroup in Lower Hutt, a Spectrum playgroup. This is really exciting. How did you get started with this? Well, so I guess initially the the thing that sparked Spectrum playgroup was the acknowledgement of a need. I mean, and it was a need that I'd felt myself. Sorry. It's just a need that I saw in the wider community too, that you get this diagnosis and 
you know, parents are at different stages of knowing what to do about that. And basically, the next steps for parents is to go on a waiting list. And for me, I just thought, oh, this is, we know that early intervention is really important. And we also know that, that families can be quite vulnerable and unsure of what to do next. So I guess, yeah, I acknowledged and recognised a need. And I was like, actually, what we need here is somewhere to for parents and their children to go straight away following diagnosis where they can receive support for each other and from each other as parents. But in a way, more importantly, they can have access to therapists straight away. And that, you know, that has morphed and changed a little bit with Spectrum Playgroup too. So, yeah, we have, we have some support from therapists who come along, but we've also recently, our speech and language therapist has moved cities. So we're currently... Yeah, we're looking to fill that gap too because we know that it's so important to have those therapists working with our kids straight away. So the families, uh, the parents can share experiences, but can siblings come along as well? Totally, yeah. I mean, as a mother myself, I know that you can't have a playgroup where siblings can't come because what do you do with that child while you're taking your other child on the spectrum to a playgroup? So, yeah, we we have siblings come along as well which has been, yeah, really cool. Kat, what about funding? Where does the money come from? Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Tricky question. <laughs> no, it's a really good question. We established the playgroup using a Give a Little Fund, and recently I set up another Give a Little Fund to help raise some money to offer a koha to one of our key volunteers, whose name is Louise. And the other thing we did recently too was there was some funding available for... A, an outside and like physical activities fund and so we basically just developed a little program within our playgroup that was around encouraging our children in their gross motor skill development and so we used that funding to purchase new equipment so we have lots of really fun gym equipment and gross motor equipment for our playgroup from that and then on a weekly basis parents just bring food to share and um It's a real sharing experience, isn't it? It totally is. And the thing with not having a set um, stream of funding is that there's less limitations on us in terms of, like, we can be quite flexible in meeting the needs of of our whānau rather than, yeah, having to do specific, meet specific goals and, you know, achieve specific things in order to get specific funding. What happens when a child goes to school, Cat? This must be a really hard time for parents. Yeah, it is actually. It's a, it's a really emotional and vulnerable time for parents. The Ministry of Education are really committed to helping us to, to do transitions to school well. So they've sent along early intervention teachers to um, talk to our families about the transition process um, and they've provided us with booklets about transitions as well, which is really great. But I think, to be honest, most of the transition support that happens at Playgroup is around parents sharing together experiences of transitioning their own children and just really being a good sounding board for parents and thinking through their concerns. The other thing, we we have Clara, who's a lovely therapist from the hospital, and they also do quite a lot of work in schools as well. So she's an amazing resource for talking to parents about transitions as well. So, yeah, there, there is quite a bit of support around transitioning to schools, but, I mean, it, it's a, a really personal 
journey, I think, for families, and it's something that we um, continue to try and get better and better at as well. Yeah, supporting our families as they transition their children. I mean, AWS funding is a massive one. Parents talking with each other about who gets AWS and who doesn't. There's times where parents are feeling really vulnerable while they're waiting to hear back whether their AWS funding request has been accepted or declined. And again, Clara from the hospital is a really, really helpful resource person for families talking through their AWS applications and yeah, what to include and what to emphasise and those kind of things. So she's been really helpful with that as well. So Kat, what sort of message would you like to give to parents when they're given that diagnosis of, of their child being on the autism spectrum? I guess a message I'd like to give is just to go through the process. You know, it's okay to feel confusion, grief, fear, anxiety, but also that this this journey is an amazing one and our children are incredible gifts to us and just to really focus on your child's strengths and to just love them in what they're interested in and to get alongside them in the, in the things that give them energy and life and just to know that there are other people out there and that when you're ready you can find um, an amazing sense of community and belonging within within the autism and disability world. And, yeah, I guess that's what I'd, I'd want to say. It, it, it can be scary, but it's an amazing and it's an amazing journey and a real privilege. Kat, what you're doing is absolutely fantastic, and I do thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Judged a cover cause I could not read Her mind so complicated, words too long for me Her preface now I see is written in her smile Now I'm into you, looks like we'll be here for a while We're on the same page now, we're in the right place now Keep this moment, keep this bookmark Cause you know I'm into you at first to read about her past She felt so fragile and surprised me with a laugh I found a reason now to go ahead and turn To her first chapter and so this is where I learn We're on the same page now We're in the right place now Keep this moment, keep this bookmark Cause you know I'm into you on the same page now We're in the right place now Keep this moment, keep this bookmark Cause you know I'm into you My spine had tingled as she captivated me Pages turning, understanding where she's been Her prose so eloquent I could not lay her down For this would kill the moment we are into now We're on the same page now We're in the right place now Keep this moment, keep this bookmark 
Welcoming Joanne Dacom to our program today. Joanne has spent 21 years working at the Reserve Bank in the area of monetary policy. Hi, Joanne. It's good to have you along. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Now, Joanne, you were diagnosed with autism quite later in life. How old were you and what made you seek a diagnosis? Um, I was uh, 48 when I was diagnosed. I, I think the journey for me began when I actually had what is now known as an autistic burnout, but I didn't recognise it at the time, and I was having counselling for that. And the counsellor said to me, well, some of your answers are a little bit unusual, and started talking about my black and white thinking. And because I had an autistic son, I thought, oh, that's a bit odd that he thinks that. And then he um, referred me to... One of his colleagues, who is a um, a person who often sees people who are on the journey to diagnosis, she's very familiar, particularly with 
um, females on the autism spectrum, and she got me to do some uh, pre-testing, and then she said, well, you know, there was enough there that she would recommend that I seek formal diagnosis if I wanted. But you were obviously working before then, so... Uh, yeah, had been uh, working at the bank. The, the interesting thing is that sometimes some of those autistic traits fit quite nicely into some careers, and uh, economics is one of those. <laughs> now, you say that you have a son on the autism spectrum, so he was diagnosed obviously before you. Uh, yes, he was uh, diagnosed quite late as well, well, comparatively late, uh, given that we noticed some unusual behaviours quite young. He wasn't diagnosed till he was eight, um, and then began the process of learning to understand autism as a family at that point. What would you say that the challenges are for him, the challenges facing him? Have they got easier? Because you understand, you understand exactly what he's going through. So do you think the challenges over time have got easier for him? Uh, very much so. And his transition to adulthood, I think, was easier. You know, there was a lot more deliberate planning around that and, and thinking about transitions at various stages of his life which I didn't have, but I think having that transition planning certainly made things a lot easier for him. And and he's a very well-adjusted young man now. He's 21, or soon to be 22. How difficult is it for parents trying to understand the educational system and work through it with an autistic child? The, that, that, it's hugely challenging. You know, when a parent enrolls in a school... You know, they're given a whole raft of paperwork, mostly around, you know, enrolment papers and maybe a contract for technology use and maybe details about a school uniform, maybe even a map of a school and a school prospectus. But really, are they ever given anything around school policies or how to navigate the system if you've got a child with additional learning needs of some sort or another? There's nothing given to parents. A lot of that information is available on the MOE website, but it's not clear and it's not a visual and it's not a, a, a pathway, if you like. So parents have to sort of guess and, and you end up in all sorts of different parts of the website, but you've got no idea about how the system fits together. And if you're a parent that has disabilities, particularly if you're a parent who may have autism themselves, then that can present extra challenges you know, having enough energy to work through it, having to fight for those um, things that you think your child might need. It's quite difficult. So what concerns you most? What, what's your biggest worry about the schooling system? For me, when I look at it, some of the biggest worries for me are the number of autistic children who end up suspended or expelled from school, and mainly because this sets them up poorly for um, a positive education experience, and it can increase their anxiety and the autistic symptoms, if you like, you know, make them prone to meltdowns, um, not to mention the fact that it can create huge financial issues for families who suddenly need to be at home full-time to supervise if the child's suspended or, or um, expelled. And then I'm also concerned by a system that allows those children to be denied, basically, their human right to a full-time education, because what often happens is that if their needs are not severe enough, then they don't qualify for very much assistance at all in the classroom and parents often feel forced into allowing their children to only attend part time 
because they know that without an aid, their child won't cope in the class, and they recognise that it's unfair on both the teacher and the other students. And unfortunately, this is not a hypothetical situation. It is a here and now reality for many families. And it's also, you know, I'm concerned about the load that we're expecting teachers to carry. You know, they often don't get the training. They often have little teaching around what inclusive education is. You know, it isn't just mainstreaming. They're often poorly funded and poorly supported. So in real terms, teachers have a huge load, but they're not being supported to carry that load. How do we get more information out there, more knowledge out there on autism, more understanding? How do we do that? I think some of that responsibility lies with organisations like Altogether Autism, who've got a contract for that, but also Autism New Zealand and the outreach coordinators who, who go and do that. But also I think it's a matter of politicians being willing to listen and willing to learn and understand so that the message can come from the top down, not always from the bottom up. Because sometimes what happens when you try and spread that message from the bottom up is, is, if you like, that glass ceiling and the messages don't get, you know, further up. So what would you like the education system to look like? In an ideal world, if we had the funding, if we had everything there in place, what would you like to see? Uh, um, Well, I would like to see all teachers getting the training so that they would be empowered to meet the needs of, of children regardless of their impairments. And, um, you know, why I recognise that not all disabilities can be taught about, if you like. Autism is common and it shouldn't be one that's left off, you know, and the, and the training should be meaningful and practical. Uh, and I think of um, the education system would be equitable and that doesn't necessarily mean that all children get the same. What it does mean is that all children get what they need to succeed. And, and I'd like to see all children, regardless of impairments, being supported to have a full-time education with all the necessary transitions and supports and funding, and even the one-on-one therapy that they may require. You know, at the moment, the Ministry of Education runs what's called a consultative model, and often that just means that a specialist will come and chat to the teacher, and the teacher is expected to somehow do this on top of teaching the rest of the children. We want to see the child really put first. That that would be my aim. What do you think about the language used as well? There's a lot of jargon, there's a lot of acronyms. For parents to understand it all must be very difficult. It is, and and then they get bogged down by it, you know, and and there's a lot of double-ups, for example, in the Ministry of Health. You get a similar issue. You have what's called an intensive wraparound service, but there's also that same term used in the Ministry of Education, and it means different things. So there is a lot of jargon for parents to get their heads around and I don't think the system, the system is so bureaucratic it makes it very difficult for parents to work it out. By the time they do, often their child no longer fits for any of those services or supports. Well, let's hope that there is more understanding in the years to come. Let's hope we can get things a little more easy for parents. And I do thank you for coming in and and sharing your journey with us today, Joanne. Okay, no problem. Wonderful. Okay, thank Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Connect, inform, support. Join us next week on Free FM 89.0 for support and information from parent to parent. The program can be downloaded as a podcast. And of course, you can get more information on our website, parenttoparent.org.nz. This has been Family, Fano and Disability from Parent to Parent. I have been your host, Johanna. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that you'll join us again soon.